Today's sponsor is Audible.com, which has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free audiobook of your choice at audible.com slash decode. Today is also sponsored by SoFi. SoFi is transforming the world of finance for the better. They offer great loans and help their members in ways that big banks can't. Visit SoFi.com, that's S-O-F-I.com, to learn more. Terms and conditions apply at SoFi.com. Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher, powered by digital media. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. You may know me as the alternate voice of the Amazon Echo, but in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. You can subscribe to Recode Decode at iTunes.com slash Recode Decode, and while you're there, leave us a review. Today in the red chair, we have Renaud Laplanche, the CEO of The Lending Club. Renault grew up in France and is a former competitive sailboat racer who won the French National Sailing Championships twice. He founded his first company, Triple Hop, in 1999, which was acquired by Oracle in 2005. In 2006, he co-founded Lending Club. Welcome, Renault. Thank you. Thanks for coming. So we're on a bit of a fi-tech tear here on the podcast. We're super interested in the area, and so is Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. Getting a lot of funding, a lot of attention, and also recently a lot more troubles. So let's just jump into where you guys are now. You went public when was it? Uh, December 2014. 14. Okay. So your stock is down by half. Now, that's a lot of tech stocks are. So to be fair, a lot of tech stocks are. But financial tech stocks have gotten hit badly, too. And it's for a number of reasons um, in this P2P lending environment. Before we stop, explain what Lending Club and others like it do. Like there's Prosper, SoFi, Funding Circle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the, the idea of marketplace lending or peer-to-peer lending, um, which is a company, an industry we pioneered uh, really when we launched the right. company in 2007, is a way to deliver credit and fund credit at a lower cost and delivering a better experience than the traditional banking system. Mm-hmm. And so the, most of the loans we uh, make on our uh, website are personal loans. Uh, they're provided to uh, people to pay off an existing credit card balance. And mm-hmm. so we help them refinance at a lower rate mm-hmm. than they would get from, from the bank. And essentially by operating at a lower cost with no branch network, by using technology to automate tasks and simplify processes, we lower cost and we pass on the cost savings to, to consumers who get loans at a lower interest rate than they yeah, would. This, this idea has been around for a while. There's all, been all kinds of community banks and other credit unions and things like that. How is that different? I mean, because it has existed, this kind of idea. It's just what's different? Yeah, you can think of Lending Club and marketplace lending as a modern sort of technology-powered version of what the credit union right. have been have been doing for, for decades. I think the, the two main differences are one is the use of technology. And so we operate in a way that's fully online. We have a fraction of the cost that the credit unions have and really a, a mindset of solving problems with technology. So when there is a bottleneck in the operations, mm-hmm. we don't hire more operations people. We hire more engineers and mm-hmm. we try to develop a, a better engineering, better architecture that will make that bottleneck go away. And explain how that helped, how the idea of better technology because banks have technology you know everybody has technology i think the, the main difference is that if wells fargo was created today they would probably uh, build it in a very different way yeah, than, than they did before and so they, 
lots of the big banks today are sitting on a lot of legacy architecture, legacy mm -hmm. IT systems that include pretty much every piece of software. And, and they do a lot more things. They don't just do loans. They do everything. That's right. Yeah, they, they do a lot more things. Uh, but the, at the end of the day, that sort of technology stack is 30-year-old. And it's a um, uh, sort of architecture that's very different from what we built, which is a purpose-built architecture that's very flexible. We release new code every two weeks. We're just on a different pace and have a different mindset. And I think a lot more flexibility. Than so I want to get a little bit more into, I, I do want to get into the issues you're facing right now in terms of your stock and other, there's a recent decision that you changed your fee structure. And then there's issues around the globe with other uh, lenders that are like this, that have had more trouble. But when you're thinking about this idea of whether you're a tech company or a finance company, I think one of the issues is Wall Street doesn't quite understand what the difference is in lots of ways. So your investors are somewhat confused. How would you describe how Wall Street looks at you and what you consider yourself? I think, um, that, I mean, the markets include a lot of different investors. And uh, so certainly we have a mix of technology investors and financial investors. Mm -hmm. Most of our long-term investors are technology growth-oriented uh, investors. At the end of the day, the, what the technology, uh, what the company is, what Lending Club is, is an online marketplace that delivers a financial service. Mm -hmm. So we really have elements of both. Uh, mm -hmm. We're an online marketplace. We grow very fast in a very capital-light way. Uh, and we live of marketplace dynamics and have a lot of, of network effects going for us, like other online marketplaces. Uh, but the service we deliver is a financial service. Financial. So that comes with higher regulation burden and more constraints and, and more focus, I think, and more discipline mm -hmm. than other internet iTech companies. Right. So how do you think Wall Street values you? Do they value as a financial services company or a technology company? So I, I don't know if the difference is as pronounced as okay. um, people think sometimes. I think at the end of the day, what investors value is sort of revenue, profitability, and growth. Mm -hmm. And so if you if you look at the sort of the ways of any company, I mean, what, typically sort of internet uh, software companies have higher multiples because they grow a lot faster. Sure. And so if you correct for growth, uh, there aren't actually that many differences. So we're not necessarily pushing investors to view us one way or another. What we're really focused on is uh, sort of building the company, building a great service, delivering a great product to our customers, and the market will sort itself out. So what has been the impact? You went public. It's been, the stock is down by half. Um, you were affected by a lot of things, some of which are not your fault. This situation in China with it's at Ezebo or Ezubo, who it turned out to be a Ponzi scheme. That doesn't mean all of them are, but it, it makes the whole sector questionable. Mm. Yeah. And then um, this the recent fee thing that you had to change. Explain both of those things for mm -hmm. listeners so they understand. Yeah, so we went public at $15 with about $9 today, mm -hmm. so not quite half. Mm -hmm. Certainly a disappointing performance, mm -hmm. uh, disconnected from the company's financial Which and, you've and doubled your loans, right? right. You're growing like so we've, crazy. we've grown faster than we told the investors we would at your the time Your margins of the are very strong. Our margins have expanded. Uh, so we are, the stock might be down by 35%, but the revenue is up 100% and yeah. profitability so has tripled. So certainly, I think there's been a lot of macro factors, but also I think it's going to take uh, time and it, it certainly took time for uh, the markets and for investors in general to sort of appreciate the model and understand the model and, and, and really sort of catch up to uh, the benefits of the model. Uh, I think what an online marketplace uh, is going to be more resilient in a, in a downturn. Mm -hmm. I think we have sort of more diversification of uh, both funding sources and the investor side mm -hmm. and distribution channel on the borrower side. We have a lot of, sort of the, the benefits of all, any other online marketplaces. And you so mean we, network effects, me? 
right yeah. like network effects like the fast growth i mean if you look at the uh, sort of price line and the travel industry for example so we, um, in 2008 the travel mm-hmm. industry was down to mm-hmm. 30% price line continued to grow very fast at 20 mm-hmm. or 25% a year so i think you're going to see a lot of these dynamics with lending club and other marketplaces that are essentially sort of benefiting from these of sort of low cost of uh, an online marketplace and passing on the benefits to borrowers and investors in any type of environment. But right now you're suffering from the worry about loan quality, obviously elsewhere, and also regulation, the difficulty of keeping in line with regulation. A lot of uh, online marketplaces have that issue, obviously. There was kind of a mess at Zenefits. They're all, anything that was regulated, there's been some issues around. It doesn't mean you did it. It means that people are worried about that. Same thing with this fee issue. Can you explain that really briefly, what you changed in your business model? Yeah, so we are concerned. There's a court decision called Madden versus Midland that mm-hmm. came out in uh, May last year. Right. And that in circumstances that have sort of nothing to do with marketplace lending, it was mm-hmm. a case about Bank of America sure. setting a state loan to collection agency uh, that applied state law uh, as opposed to federal law uh, like we've been applying so far. And so we made changes uh, last week to our model exactly to uh, sort of make sure that whatever sort of future court decisions come out, whether the Supreme Court decide to take up the case or not, uh, we sort of protect our investors and our customers from from any such court. So what you're doing is putting a higher cost on your on your business for doing that. Yeah, so by moving the risk to this bank that you use as a. Right, so all the loans are, are essentially bank loans, so they're issued by uh, a bank. And so the fee change uh, essentially made the fee earned by the bank variable and dependent on mm-hmm. loan performance and sure. loan interest rate. Uh, and so by doing so, we're uh, making sure that federal laws, the, the laws that sort of protect the banks, uh, will continue to apply uh, no matter what, what happens uh, next. So that, that came, that change came with a marginally higher fee mm-hmm. uh, that we said has no material impact to our financials. So it was, I think, a lot of work to put that new structure in place, mm-hmm. uh, but it doesn't have any long-term impact on our financials. So what? how do you get your stock back to a thing? If you have this growth, you have these great margins, you're in an area of high growth, what's the issue? As I said, I think they, I mean, it's not uncommon for the markets to sort of underappreciate new models. I think there are, there are some doubts, there's skepticism, um, mm-hmm. especially, particularly from financial investors. But from, from our standpoint, we're going to continue to execute, continue to prove and demonstrate the power of the model, continue to sort of grow fast and uh, become more profitable uh, every every year, and uh, and really focus on, on our customers. Uh, I think we, we now have 1.4 million customers. Uh, we became uh, recently the largest provider of personal loans in America. We have one of the highest customer satisfaction rates in financial services. We have a net promoter score in the high 70s. Um, so I think as, well, as long as we continue to deliver a great product and a great experience, grow fast and become more profitable, there's no scenario in which the, the stock price doesn't catch up. All right. So when we get back, we're going to talk about where it's going and how you're going to be changing the marketplace. But first, a word from one of our sponsors. If you're always on the go like myself and don't have time to sit down and read, audible.com is a great source to be able to catch up on the latest bestsellers. Listen to it while on the road and at the gym. Audible.com is a leading provider of premium digital audio information and entertainment on the internet. 
Audible content includes more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Audible carries audiobooks in every genre imaginable, business, classics, history, and self-development, just to name a few. Audible's offering our listeners a free audiobook of your choice and a free 30-day trial membership. Just go to audible.com slash decode and choose from over 180,000 audio programs. Download a title for free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audible.com slash decode. That's audible.com slash decode and get started today. We'd also like to thank Walker Corporate Law. Are you an entrepreneur or startup looking for legal help or financing, acquisition, or incorporation? If so, then you should consider checking out Walker Corporate Law. Walker Corporate Law is a different kind of law firm, unlike traditional law firms. They have only lawyers with 10 to 25 years of experience, which means you're getting a personal attention from a senior lawyer, not a junior lawyer, getting on-the-job training. They also encourage fixed fees because they believe that when lawyers bill by the hour, it rewards inefficiency. Check them out at walkercorporatelaw.com or you can call 415-979-9999. That's walkercorporatelaw.com or 415-979-9999. We're here with Renaud Laplanche, CEO of The Lending Club, one of the many P2P lenders that have popped up recently and are trying hard to change the banking system or the loan system. We've been talking about some troubles the company's had since it went public, as have many of these companies. Many of them are still private. Many of the ones that you compete with are still private or compete on different levels, so Fi, Prosper, and others. Talk about, a lot of people are moving into the market. So besides having, dealing with being a public company, which has its own set of, you know, fresh hells every day, I'm sure, this is an area that everyone's jumping into. And explain how you deal with the competition and why that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, Lending Club is uh, one of the first sort of credit marketplaces to have uh, sort of emerged. We are now the, the, the clear leader in the space. Mm-hmm. We are twice as big as anybody else and growing faster. Mm-hmm. And I think so what you see a lot of is essentially platform effect, marketplace dynamics that makes the larger marketplace more efficient and more attractive as it gets bigger. Uh, so you see more efficiency coming from so the benefits of scale. We've, uh, I think, invested more in technology than uh, a lot of the, the other players. Um, and that helped us uh, report on, in the last quarter a sort of rapidly declining cost of operations. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you think uh, essentially of the cost of credit as a component of the cost of operations, so everything that has to do with onboarding customers and, and delivering credit and servicing the loans, so that's highly automated and, and gives us a lower cost of operations. And so the cost of operations and the, the other component is the cost of capital, mm-hmm. uh, which is essentially the sort of return that uh, investors want to, to earn on the loans. And there, I think we've set up a more diversified set of funding sources. Right, let's talk about that, that for a minute. I actually also want to get to a comment. I was with a pretty prominent VC who's moved into the fintech space a lot. And he was talking about models like uh, SoFi and Lending Club and said they're really just direct marketing companies. And he was wondering if there was a real technology differential if you couldn't copy it going forward. But let's talk first about your funding sources. So maybe just on the yeah, technology okay. point, I mean, uh, so I couldn't comment about yeah, the, the other sure. company. I, I don't know what their mix is. Right. Uh, but as far as Lending Club is concerned, a third of the people who work at Lending Club or in product or technology, mm-hmm. right? So it's uh, out of 1,500 people, we have 500 of them right. are product people or engineers. Right. And that's how we see the world. We, we try to solve it, As a technology, technology company, not a direct it's market. Right. Sort of a, his point was that these are great companies and they're growing and they're doing mm-hmm. really well, but they're really direct marketers. That's not how we think of ourselves and certainly not where we invest resources. Well, give an example, say, of that technology strength that you might have. Yeah, so, I mean, I think where it manifests itself is really in our ability to operate at a low cost. So there's a, a constant quest for automation. Mm-hmm. And um, So anywhere you don't have to deal with a customer where it costs more 
such as a bank which has an office or a that's that's right but the automation uh, sort of helps deliver a better experience as well as a low cost right so uh, an example would be the way we verify income and employment um, so a typical a bank would ask you to fill out a form fill, in, fill out a form and then produce your w2 or your tax returns mm-hmm. and it's oh, I just uh, did a new loan yes I right. <laughs> and so if you're like me, just like finding your pay stub or your W-2 is going to mm-hmm. be a, an adventure. Uh, so the way we, we like to do it is by connecting directly to the payroll processing provider. And through an API call, we can immediately verify income and employment and have the employment history that comes with it. So it's a much better service to the user. It's also a lower cost way to verify income because we don't have a lot of people in the operations who, who work on this. Uh, and it's also a way to make the underwriting more accurate because we reduce the risk of human error. Mm-hmm. Same thing in the uh, in terms of, of looking at the all the data uh, that makes us decide whether to approve or decline right. a loan. Which is a big issue for people, whether these loans are good loans or not. It, it is a big issue. And, and when what you have typically at a bank is what we call judgmental underwriting with mm-hmm. an underwriter making a, a decision to approve or decline. What you have at Lending Club is purely model-driven underwriting uh, which helps really have a very tight feedback loop and makes of no exception to the model. So we know exactly what are the areas where the model is working, when it's not working, mm-hmm. and we can rapidly make changes. So you're pattern also, mapping these. Right. And, uh, and we, but we can also, through that process, achieve a better level of compliance. Right? When, when uh, so there's no exception, no judgmental underwriting, we don't know what our customers look like. We mm-hmm. can't make a difference whether our customer is a man or a woman or, or any other, uh, or any other product category. I think the automation has really a lot of benefits in compliance, quality of underwriting, quality of a user experience, as well as cost. When you started, you had mostly individual investors providing mm-hmm. loans to you, and now that's mostly institutional entities. And you had hedge funds and others, and they're, they're all jumping into the game. I, I think Dan Loeb's and SoFi and others. And right. yeah, so, so I think that's a very big difference yeah. between Lending Club yeah. and a lot of these smaller platforms right. uh, that, that have uh, sort of joined the space recently. We've uh, ended up sometimes taking shortcuts and mm-hmm. getting a lot of institutional capital, mm-hmm. which helps you grow fast, but really is, isn't as resilient as the way we operate at, at Lending Club. So 55% of our uh, funding comes from individual investors. Right. So the majority still comes from still individual comes in- from. investors. And it's, um, it was 100, though, correct? Right. Yeah. yeah. We, so for the first five years, we did not have any type of institutional uh, So rich investors. people. No, 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 not rich not people. I mean, it's uh, the, uh, it was retail investors. So mm-hmm. It was not high net worth individuals. Right. It's really a retail offering that's okay. available to the public uh, at large. And so that's very stable. Uh, that's very predictable because it's more than 100,000 different active investors who make their own investment decision on, mm-hmm. on any given day. So that's, a, that's very stable. The other piece of funding that's about 25% is mostly banks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so here you have a lot of community banks that have uh, money to lend and want to find that lend. have deposits. It's borrowers. hard for them to cost efficiently originate these loans, right? And so we, we give them uh, access to a national origination platform, which mm-hmm. is also a good way to diversify geographically their exposure to consumer So that's 25%. Lending. That's yeah. another 25%. So the, the remaining 20% comes from true institutional investors. Uh, so that's some pension funds, insurance companies, and asset managers. So the asset managers, some of them are credit hedge funds. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones of providing most of the funding for a lot of the other platforms, and it's really a small part of, of our funding. So you still want to rely on these individual investors as for most of it. Is there a formula you want to keep at? 
you mean in terms of breakdown of funding? No, yeah, we, we like having the majority of the funding coming from, from individual investors. We think that that provides a lot of resiliency, particularly in a, in a downturn. Mm -hmm. It's uh, what a bank would call their core deposit base. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, it, it provides that stability. Do you see money coming from other sources at all? Is there other places? Well, I think once you have that type of diversity, uh, it's hard to expand from there. I mean, we sure. literally have the family offices, endowments, foundations, insurance companies, mm -hmm. pension funds. Uh, so there's, there's a very broad range of investors. Uh, and that also helps with, I think, not, not only the resiliency and the stability of the model, but also the uh, efficiency on, on both sides of the platform. Because when you have such a broad diversity on the investor side with investors who have their own investment objectives and risk appetite. That means that we can uh, offer a broader range of loans on, on the borrower side as well. And we'll have sort of investors who have appetite for any type of loans. And as the, the market has more entrance into competitors, how do you look at that? Because then, then there's, everyone's competing to loan to people. I mean, there's endless interest in getting a loan, but there isn't. Mm. There's a pool of people you want to loan to, and then there's a pool of people that are more risky and other right. issues. How do you respond to that as more people move into the market, as FiTech becomes the thing? I think there, there were a lot of, sort of VC investments in FinTech in the last yes, year, a lot of like small platforms uh, getting, getting VC funding. I think that period has probably ended <laughs> in, mm -hmm. the last, uh, in the last few months. Mm -hmm. We're seeing a lot less of that, mm -hmm. uh, a lot less of, sort of uh, well-funded competitors. In any case, I mean, what we've seen last year is actually declining uh, acquisition costs for Lending Club uh, over the, the last year. So we, we, we haven't felt a lot of that impact. Of, so you had to uh, market to get well-funded well competitors. Lenders. Mostly because we have so greater efficiencies, so we can offer lower interest rates to borrowers and a considerably better experience. So if you go, what happens is borrowers go online, uh, they look at, at different offerings and they compare based on who has a better rate and who has a better experience. Mm -hmm. So if you look at Lending Club reviews, you see four or five stars and you see a lot more reviews than, than any other player. So we have a higher conversion so rate. So you don't see the cost of doing business going up in this area of marketing to and bringing in new lenders? Right. We haven't seen that happen last year. I think we'll see even uh, less of an increase cost this year just because we, I think we, we believe we'll see less VC funding into the space this year. Less VC funding, even though it's the hot ticket thing. Because... Because, I mean, the, I think the, the world has changed quite a bit just in the last few months. Mm -hmm. uh, I think they are, and, and VC funding is reflecting that. Right, all right. Mm -hmm. When we get back, we'll talk more about where this is all going and what will happen to banks someday. This episode is brought to you by SoFi. SoFi is transforming the financial world by offering great rates on things like student loan refinancing, personal loans, and mortgages. The process is pretty simple. They look at the financial potential of their members, and if there's promise, they back them for life which means if you borrow with SoFi, you get an awesome set of perks too. Career services, member happy hours, nationwide networking events, employment protection, and even an entrepreneur program. The idea is that SoFi succeeds when their members succeed. So they'll do all they can do to help their members out. Learn more about what they can offer at SoFi.com. That's S-O-F-I.com. Terms and conditions apply at SoFi.com. I'd also like to tell you a little bit about Recode Media with Peter Kafka. Hey, that's me, Kara. I'm going to drop in and interrupt your read. Hi, how you doing? Good to hear from you. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, why don't you explain what Recode Media is since you're here? Recode Media is what I write about every day on the website you work on, Recode. Mm -hmm. And then we talk about once a week. We find the smartest, most interesting people at the cross-section of uh, media and technology, and we talk about what they're doing there. Well, give me an example of that. 
Carly Zakin, Daniel Weisberg, it appeared something called The Skim. Have you heard of The Skim? I have, but explain it for the it people. It is an email newsletter. It has mm-hmm. 1.5 million readers. They created it from scratch mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. Uh, now they want to go beyond it. They want to move beyond the email. Right. But it's, it's amazing. They created a, a new media brand from nothing, basically overnight. It's why writing about this stuff is so interesting. Cool. Well, here's a clip. We had a list of everyone that we reached out to in fundraising, and most of it was in red. It was people that couldn't see beyond email. It was people that were looking at media and saying media is not hot right now. We're not investing in it. People that just said my wife reads it. I don't get it. Yeah. To hear more of that interview with Carly and Danielle and many more, go to iTunes.com slash Recode Media. That's Recode Media with Peter Kafka at iTunes.com slash Recode Media. We're here with Renaud Laplanche, who is the CEO of The Lending Club. We're talking about a variety of issues, including where Fitech is going. And he just noted in our talk that there might be less attention to it going forward. Uh, Can you talk about that? Why? What has changed? Is just that the market's constricted and it was sort of the hot thing to do or what? I don't know if there's less uh, attention to it. I think there there are uh, a lot of companies that emerged over the last few years that have the ability to profoundly change the way people think about money Mm -hmm. uh, and the ways of payments, asset management, and credit uh, services are being delivered. Uh, I think what we're seeing is a little bit of a saturation and probably sort of we'd probably see less of new firms uh, emerging over the next few years, just uh, considering where we are in the cycle. Now, banks aren't going to sit on their hands during this. The banks make loans, Mm -hmm. or they do a lot of other things. How do you look at their efforts, big banks, in Mm -hmm. this area? Yeah, so we we have a very, uh, we have at Lending Club a very different approach to uh, disruption than other players in the space. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've always been sort of in favor of Partnerships with banks, mm-hmm. uh, and we have very well, they buy your loans. At first, it was Santander. Now it's J.P. Morgan. Is that correct? Yeah, so that's one form of partnership. Right. We have banks uh, sort of uh, certainly buying loans from us. Mm-hmm. It's mostly for community banks and sort of small regional banks. Mm-hmm. And uh, but we uh, over the last eighteen months, we also released sort of new forms of partnerships, whereby lending club and the banks make co-branded personal loans uh, to the bank's customers. Mm-hmm. So the, the banks are coming to the realization that... Well, what do um, they need you for? So they need us for um, mostly to have a very efficient operati- operations platform mm-hmm. and just deliver a better experience. Our net promoter score is in the high 70s. So why don't they just buy you? The average in the banking sector so is in the why don't the they copy or buy you? What's the? So, so I think you, you get a lot of benefits from the partnership that you wouldn't necessarily get in an sort of integrated entity. And we see that, uh, for example, with the brands. Uh, so when we, we run a co-branded program with a community bank, the community bank's customers receive an offer that has a lending club brand that's uh, very approachable, very consumer-friendly, that screams of innovation and they, that we want to try, but that they don't know uh, as well, they're not familiar with. But then you, you also get the brand of the bank that mm-hmm. they are very familiar with, that's comforting, that has been around for decades or centuries. And I think the combination of these two brands is very powerful. And then in, in the actual sort of delivery of services, you get lending club that has the lowest possible cost of operations powered by technology, and the banks that have a very low cost of capital. 
and a very large customer base. Mm-hmm. And really, the combination of these two uh, help us together sort of lower the cost of credit for consumers and small business owners. Again, on one side, aren't you sort of just taking their customers ultimately? Why would they? I mean, it's interesting that they shouldn't do this themselves. I think there's some cannibalization uh, mm-hmm. going on for sure. Uh, but I think what the banks are thinking now is it's happening anyway. Right? Our customers expect different things from their bank. They expect uh, credit uh, to be delivered differently. So Lending Club is getting all these customers. We might as well sort of benefit from it mm-hmm. and have an integration with Lending Club that delivers a great service to our customers. We continue to have our brand in front of our customers. And, and we benefit from... Uh, investing in these loans mm-hmm. so that the, the banks we work with can invest in the loans and essentially recapture the interest income that they would have uh, lost otherwise. Oh, interesting. So where do you imagine banking is going? T- talk about the bigger ideas behind banking because it's changed a lot. Obviously, millennials don't like to go to banks. I don't like to go. I'm old as heck and I don't like to go to banks. So where do you imagine it going? Because banks used to sort of be a one-stop shop and now it's sort of splintering into a loan. Here's the loans. Here's the credit thing. Here's the... Uh, you know, whatever financial advice, it's all different now in, in a way and, and very fractured, really. Yeah, no, I, I think we, we're, we're going to continue to see a lot of disruption in the ways of uh, banking services are being are being delivered. And wh- what we've seen is sort of a lot of that moving sort of online and on, sure. on mobile platforms, uh, but also being uh, sort of disaggregated uh, to your point. So we, we have uh, folks like Betterment and Wealthfront mm-hmm. delivering sort of great sort of asset management experience. Uh, you have companies like Lending Club, Prosper, SoFi, sort of delivering a sort of wonderful experience in terms of access to credit. And then you have uh, sort of Square, Stripe, and, and others, um, and PayPal, obviously, uh, sort of delivering uh, payment payments services. Uh, so so you've seen a disaggregation of banking services, uh, but I think we'll, we'll, we'll continue. I think the, the benefit of having all these services in the same place was uh, very obvious when you had to go to that place, right? It was a physical right. branch. Right. You wanted all these services available then. Uh, if you have all these services available on your cell phone, whether the same app or a different app, doesn't matter all that much. So what are the challenges you face? What are you worried about? You're obviously being a public company CEO is different. Do you regret going public? No, not at all. Not at uh, all. I think it's, it's really part of growing up. I mean, we're building Lending Club for the next sort of 10 to 20 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, we believe uh, at the end of the day, the marketplace model is a more efficient way to deliver credit and to fund credit. Uh, we think it's going to be the dominant model over time, uh, that the banks uh, increasingly are going to participate on the marketplace, uh, but the marketplace will be the, the aggregator and, and will be run by Lending Club. Um, I think being public uh, gives us the benefit of greater brand awareness, of projecting uh, the fact that we're here to stay. We are going to be a large standalone company. Uh, it's also projecting uh, financial stability for the IPO. We were able to raise a billion dollars uh, of capital cl- close to it. And we're cash flow positive until we continue to accrue cash. I think it gave us the sort of the, the transparency, uh, so everybody can sort of get access. There are a lot of analyst reports, so it, it gives uh, transparency and credibility to the mm-hmm. brand. 
But again, in China, they had transparency and then didn't. There wasn't enough regulatory control over those. Right. So in China, there wasn't really a wasn't lot of transparency right. or a lot of regulation. Control, really. Right. Yeah. right. Uh, so it's, it was um, seeming transparency, I guess. Right. right. Maybe, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, I think uh, uh, with a lot of misperception, maybe that uh, sort of marketplace lending isn't regulated. Right. Uh, like, so it clearly wasn't in China. But in the U.S., there's a pretty uh, sort of well-established regulatory framework in terms of protection of both borrowers and investors. Well, on the sort of private um, sort of individual investor side, uh, it's a sort of SEC-registered program. There are public disclosures. We have a prospectus on file. And on, on the borrower side, all the loans are issued through banks. Right. And so they're regulated the same way any other bank loan would be regulated in terms of... Should this area be more regulated? Should there be more? I mean, I can't imagine a company saying, yes, please, more regulation. But if you have all these players coming in and you're seeing some abuses in lots of areas, not just in banking, should there be more attention by the government towards these new ways of doing business? So I'm, I'm going to surprise you, but okay. yeah, I, I wouldn't mind <laughs> having uh, more oversight. And so I think the regulations that apply to uh, to sort of loans facilitated for facilitated for marketplaces or well-established. Uh, I think sort of more oversight and, and better enforcement and more consistent application of these so the existing place, regulations just would not, be would They're be, not paying uh, attention. Well, they're not paying attention to anything, it seems like, sometimes. <laughs> I don't know. I remember that mortgage crisis some years back. Um, what do you worry about? What is the worry that if in a downturn economy, is that that people won't take the loans? Or what, what is your biggest worry as a company? So the thing we, we need to be sort of absolutely continue to, to stay focused on is credit quality. Right, it's, that's really uh, sort of one of our main functions at Lending Club is making sure sort of, we deliver predictable credit quality to investors. And as there are more signs of, sort of the, or more worries at least about the U.S. economy slowing down, or as we get sort of closer to the end of the current expansion cycle, I think it's going to be critical that we continue to manage sort of credit performance well and manage investors' expectations well. I think what's going to happen is on the borrower side, there won't be less demand for credit in a downturn. That mm-hmm. typically isn't, and particularly in the area we're focused on right now, which is helping people refinance their, their credit card balance. Mm-hmm. They're paying 18% interest rate on their credit card. We help refinance at 12. In a downturn, this 6% saving is even more important to people. So that, that, that's not going to go away. And we have a 1.3% penetration rate into that opportunity. It's a $460 billion opportunity. Mm-hmm. So that we will continue to see that sort of expand, not contract. On the investor side, really, we, we need to continue to focus on having that diversity and that's sort of very stable sort of individual investor base, a lot of community banks, a lot of long-term investors, and continue continue to really manage their expectations and sort of have the same level of transparency as we've always had in terms of the quality of the loans and the quality of the credit performance. Mm-hmm. And so you can go on our website and download the entire file of every single loan we've ever, ever made over the last eight years and the performance of every loan on a non-nominative basis. So you're not worried about a downturn economy then? So what does um, keep you up at night as an entrepreneur? And a- I'm not worried, but we're f- very focused on being ready for mm-hmm. it. Because mm-hmm. the, the Do you reason- imagine that's where this economy is headed? Well, at some point, I mean, no, no expansion <laughs> cycle uh, goes forever. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we, we spent more time on sort of downturn readiness in the last uh, few quarters uh, than we had before. And last question I ask everyone I have here, what's something that you've done? We have a lot of entrepreneurs listening to the program. What is something you made a mistake on and why? And then something you think you did rather well? Um, 
It's probably the same thing. Uh, it's uh, I think the, the number one uh, sort of advice I got and number one advice I always give to, uh, to entrepreneurs is uh, really to focus on the team, to focus on building a great team. Whatever your business is, you won't get there with a poor uh, talent pool and a great team can like run through walls and uh, sort of displace. Do you really want to run through industry. walls right now? Do you really want people to do that? <laughs> no, I love when people say that. I'm like, why would you run through a wall? But, but, no, I don't. That's why I need a team for it. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. But don't do it at all. Like, it's interesting. But what, what, no, but, what, no, but seriously, I, mean, I think the, uh, the, the, the quality of the, there's a lot of, of pressure when you're an entrepreneur and you're trying to build uh, something and build it fast. There's a lot of pressure to sometimes compromise on talent, and so anybody in that seat will be better than leaving the seat empty. And we need the job to get done. But each time I compromised on talent, I regretted it later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I think that's what one of the things we've we've done really well at Landing Club over the last many years is building a fantastic team. And and particularly for a company like Landing Club, that's really at the sort of confluence of technology and financial services, where you have uh, almost a dual DNA. Uh, so making sure we have the right people and we sort of make them help them work well. Do you have together. to be in Silicon Valley? Do you have to be here? I think San Francisco is a almost a perfect place to uh, to create that kind of team, and that's why all the, well, industry, leaders, too, yeah. all the industry leaders are here because you get access to that dual talent pool of both sort of technology and sort of consumer marketing and, and product uh, on one side. Uh, but also the sort of more analytical sort of rigor of financial services. And so there are a lot of banks and lots of asset managers in San Francisco. So mm-hmm. we really have access well, to that. That's where the rich people are. That's what they say. You go somewhere. <laughs> why do you rob a bank? That's where the yeah. money is. Anyway, very last question. If you were looking outward into the next year, how is it going to be for Silicon Valley if we topped out? Well, I think there are, again, more worries now about the U.S. economy slowing down, uh, whether it's this year or next. I think the current expansion cycle has been around. It's been a slow expansion, but it's been around since 2008. uh, So it's not going to last forever. I think a lot of of Silicon Valley leaders are very mature in their approach and and well-prepared to go through a downturn. I think many of us are, are going to actually demonstrate the power of technology-based disruption in a downturn and show how we can weather sort of econ- tough economic times better than the incumbents because we have a lower cost structure and deliver sort of better, better value to our customers. Well, we'll see. We'll Bruno Laplanche, the CEO of Lending Club, thanks for coming. Thank you. If you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. Be the first to listen to future episodes or catch up on previous episodes, including some really fantastic interviews I've done with Brian Chesky of Airbnb, Max Levshin of Affirm, and Lena Dunham of Girls and more, just to name a few. You can find all these interviews and more at recode.net slash decode. Don't miss our other podcasts, Recode Replay, Too Embarrassed to Ask, and our newest podcast, Recode Media with Peter Kafka. You can find them all at recode.net slash podcasts. Thanks for listening. This has been another episode of Recode Decode. Remember to subscribe to the show and leave us a review at itunes.com slash recode decode. You can hear Peter Kafka this Thursday on the Recode Media Podcast. I'll be on Too Embarrassed to Ask this Friday with Lauren Good of The Verge and then back here on Recode Decode on Monday with another great guest. Tune in then. This has been Recode Decode hosted by Kara Swisher, powered by digital media. 
For more hard-hitting interviews with insiders from the worlds of tech, media, and politics, subscribe to Recode Replay on iTunes. Featuring candid conversations with leading voices like AOL CEO Tim Armstrong, Goldman Sachs' CIO Marty Chavez, the team behind the hit TV show Empire, Shark Tank investor Mark Cuban, and presidential candidate Hillary Clinton. They're all on Recode Replay.